Support for I Am Salt Lake comes from KRCL 90.9, amplifying community voices since 1979. This listener-supported music discovery station covers everything from reggae and punk rock to local grassroots activism. Listen today at 90.9 FM or online at krcl.org. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Market Source Real Estate, the Salt Lake Barber Company, and Libsyn. We're going to be telling you more about them throughout this episode. All right. I want to personally welcome you out today to the very first episode of September, September 2019. What happened to summer, Chrissy? What happened to the whole year? I... Oh my gosh, so (laughs) fast. Hey guys, this is episode 397. My name is Chris Hollifield. And my name is Chrissy Hollifield. And if this is your first time listening to this podcast, you might be wondering what it's all about. Well, this podcast is about showcasing awesome people in Salt Lake City, Utah. We get to talk to musicians, authors, business owners, restaurant owners, breweries, distilleries, food truck owners, really anyone who might have a cool story to share. And we're recording this episode today right in beautiful downtown Salt Lake City in our podcast studio that's located way in the back of Empire Merchandise. Empire Merchandise is located at 680 South State Street. Now keep in mind, Empire has an amazing selection of vape accessories, but this is where you can come and purchase your very own I Am Salt Lake podcast t-shirt. That is right. They have a few I Am Salt Lake podcast t-shirts left, so stop on in and pick yours up today. Hey, who's on the podcast today, Chrissy? Today on the podcast, we are joined by JP, owner and founder of Hammer Spring Distillery. We get to talk to him about what inspired him to start up his distillery, the liquors they distill, obstacles he has faced and how he overcame them, and even what JP loves about living in Utah. And I actually got my hands on some Hammer Spring gin. Oh my gosh, it was so good. You couldn't stop talking about it. I was like, I was like freaking out. Every time I had some, I was like, you don't even know, Chris, this is so good. So that, that was really fun. But we're going to get into that conversation in just a minute. Hey, before we get into this conversation with JP, let's give love to one of our awesome sponsors, Market Source Real Estate. Hey, Market Source Real Estate has been a sponsor of this podcast going on two years, you guys. So many thanks to Market Source uh, Real Estate for sponsoring this episode. Because we know there are a lot of listeners, you guys are looking to move to Salt Lake City right now. You're, you're looking here, maybe a job is bringing you here. And if you love the charm and you love the character of old homes, you need to contact our friends Monique and Jeremy over at uh, Market Source Real Estate. Yeah, for the past 17 years, they have been specializing in helping people buy and sell homes in the Sugar House and the greater Salt Lake area. They have a background of flipping houses, and they have owned almost two dozen homes themselves, so they know all the ins and outs of older homes. And if you're looking to sell your home, Market Source Real Estate specializes in helping sellers update and repair their homes to increase their value and help make you more money. And if you're looking to buy an old home, they know what to look for in older homes so you don't end up buying a money pit because a money pit kind of sucks, you guys. It totally sucks. Find their info right online, thinksaltlakecity.com, or just give them a call, 801-810-6773, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with how awesome uh, Monique and Jeremy are. Really easy to work with, really cool people. We can't thank them enough for sponsoring this episode. Let's get into that conversation now with JP when he came over to our podcast studio to share the story of Hammer Spring Distillery. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy. I always like to even start off like kind of where's home, where people grew up. 
are you from Utah or have you moved around or what's your story there? I was actually born in Colorado, but I was only there briefly. I lived there for only maybe a year or so. Uh, and it was just my mother and I, we came to Salt Lake City and uh, kind of put down some roots here. I always thought I'd move away, but I always ended up coming back. So no memories of Colorado. Oh, then. goodness, no. I was only an infant. Do you make it over to Colorado? I mean, I guess you probably do, being next door to us, I guess. We've done lots of distillery tours, sure. and we have some friends that live there. Uh, but we didn't live there. It just happened to be where we were. Now, Hammer Spring, I want to kind of jump right into this distillery yeah, stuff you that you're doing. Before all of this started, what were you doing? I mean, was the work previous kind of lead you into the distillery thing, or or what's what's the story there with what you were doing before the distillery started? So I guess the the best picture I can paint of how my life has gone is The Competent Man, which is a Robert Heinlein character reference where one person is able to do a lot of things, and I've never really settled on one thing up until this point in my life. Uh, I've done a lot of stuff. The bulk of it was occupied with architectural drafting. I've had my own drafting business for um, the better part of 30 years. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, we got hit really hard in the 2007 crash, yeah. and we had lots of uh, design contracts that we lost out of our firm. And my business partner at the time, he went on to other things, and uh, I decided to stick with it for a few years, but it was uh, kind of a circling the drain, slow, painful death that I was experiencing. I realized I didn't want to really do that anymore. I'd kind of had my fill. Mm -hmm. And uh, my wife, we're, we're, uh, we weren't married at the time, but 15 years ago when we were dating, she bought me a wine kit and for my birthday. And we uh, got the five-gallon bucket, and we went to the beer nut, and we got all the hydrometers and the yeast and the pH test strips, and we did all the things, and we put all the ingredients in, and we felt you know, like badass mad scientists in the kitchen. We're going to make <laughs> wine. We're going to make alcohol out of nothing. This is as close to alchemy as humankind has ever seen, right? And the wine turned out mediocre. I'll, I'll you know, tell you right up front, it wasn't our best work. <laughs> but you drank it? We drank it, yeah. And we bought another kit, and then we did it again, and we did a couple more of them um, over the next few years. And we thought, hey, this is really cool. Um, and maybe we fantasize for like five minutes. Well, let's own a winery someday. And uh, we realized quickly that that was uh, a bit more than we could uh, accomplish. That, that would be a challenge because like you'd have to actually grow everything too, right? right? Find the land, find the trust fund, find the investors. They're just everywhere, aren't they? Trust <laughs> is it tougher to own a winery over a distillery? Well, the distillery is definitely smaller. So in that regard, I would say it's easier. Okay. okay. And, and that's really what it came down to. It was a function of scale. Uh, and so we thought, well, you know, next logically would be a brewery. And even though I like beer, it's not really my passion. Whiskey was really my passion. So we started looking at distilleries and what would it take? And what if we, you know, actually did this and is it legal? And I don't think it's legal in Utah, but there's distilleries here now. And as this idea started to blossom, we started to tour other distilleries around, of course, the local Utah scene. Uh, we went to everyone that we possibly could that would let us have a tour. Yeah. And we started touring out of state. And currently we've toured, I don't know, maybe close to 30 distilleries between uh, the furthest east was one in Sacramento and we've been to one in the Bahamas. And so uh, lots in between. And we realized that distilleries are available on all sorts of scales. There's small ones, boutique ones, medium-sized ones, gigantic ones, of course. Yeah. Um, and so you were, this is research you were doing before you started Hammer Spring. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We didn't have a name picked out. We didn't even have a real uh, trajectory, you know, plotted. So uh, we realized that there was kind of a niche for small boutique distilleries. Oh, the other important thing we learned is it didn't matter how big or small the distillery was. It had no bearing on their taste, on the quality of their spirit. There are great big shops that 
in my opinion, weren't making very good spirits. And there were little tiny shops that had some of the best stuff we've ever had. So well, it seems like with the smaller, more boutique, you can actually control the quality of it a sure. little bit better too. But it's not exclusive because we had yeah. we tried some boutique stuff that was crap as well. Oh, so oh, it, we found that there yeah. wasn't really... Uh, I guess it's really the person who's making it. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Or the organization yeah. in a lot of cases. It's yeah. not just a person. We found that the people who were actually doing it were the ones creating better stuff than, say, uh, you know, a, a marketing company that decided they want to you know, make this label and source product and sell it under their name in their bottle, that kind of thing. That's, you know, and there's like nothing. Like white label? Sure. And there's nothing, you know, inherently wrong with that type of thing. But, you know, the real small craft guys that are really putting their heart and soul into it, we were really impressed by that and said, well, you know, we could do that. Let's pull the trigger then. Let's and do, do it, it right? right? So how long yeah. were you researching it before you actually pulled the trigger? Approximately. Yeah. So it's probably a three year build up to really? it. And, you know, we'd stumble upon a thing. So we'd be out, you know, doing whatever. And we'd be like, oh, hey, look, here's a this pump. We might need this someday if we ever do this distillery thing. And we'd get a paycheck and we'd be like, well, let's buy this tank and let's buy this mixer. And pretty soon our garage was full. And we <laughs> thought, well, it was over the course of a couple of years. We thought, well, if we're going to do this, we should start thinking about where we're going to have this. Let's look at what the legal requirements are. And we were stuck in that place of how do you know what you don't know? And that's where the really like getting in deep rather than just going to a distillery to say, what does your rum taste like? Or what does your vodka taste like? It was mm-hmm. more like, what kind of hurdles did you have? Or what was difficult for, you know, for you yeah. to start up? And, you know, so they started teaching us about the TTB, which is the federal branch of the government that regulates what we do. They collect the taxes for us. And what does the state law looks like? And what's a proximity rule? And what's a, why do we have to be closed on holidays? Type of things like that, that yeah. we didn't even know when we first began. So were you still making wine during all this or, or were you making you any know, kind of alcohol at home? The type wine thing? kind of tapered off. Okay. And we really, uh, it, it's kind of funny, but you know, our research and development went deep into the spirits. Mm. <laughs> well, so to speak. You know, props to you, ma'am, for even doing it because if Chrissy came to me wanting to do a distillery, I the my first thought is in Utah, like it would be scary, man, right. because yeah. the laws here are so different right. than other places. Right. Was that intimidating for you, or were you are you the type that's like, well, I'll just learn what they are and learn how to work with them? Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 it really does. I was just uh, trying to think about how I would answer that question. I'm kind of a damn the torpedoes kind of guy. That, I like um, that, though. You know, and starting out small and self-funded, we didn't have investors that we were going to let down or we didn't have mm-hmm. a, a big business loan that we would potentially default on if we didn't do it right. So it would just be my own money and my own savings. Uh, and of course, my wife, she has a great full-time job. And so she could provide a bit of a safety net as we started out. And that's been very that's helpful so nice. for us. So... Uh, what was your question? No, well, the, the question was, I mean, it's just, was it intimidating to, oh. to try to learn Utah laws? Okay. Yes, that, that actually really was. I think the thing that helped me most in that regard and give me some peace of mind were the other distillers who in, in Salt Lake who were so accommodating for us and to answer our questions and to give us real frank, candid answers. So, so the distillers here were pretty cool with you? Most of them, yeah. Most we, of them, We've yeah. made a lot of really good friends here. Sure. I mean, it seems like, I mean, how many, I mean, off the top of your head, I mean, how many distilleries do you think we have here? I mean, a couple dozen? 17. 17? Oh, so, yeah. This guy knows the Right on. <laughs> well, we were number 14 and I know there's only been a few others after us. So, so. when, uh, what's the, like, how long have you been around? What's the approximate date that you started? Or we being... opened in 2017, April 1st of 2017. That was our, when we opened our doors, we incorporated the year prior. So on April Fool's Day, we thought that was a good day for <laughs> this wild adventure that we were about to embark on. Anything, any meaning behind the name or? Oh, behind the name. Sure. We do have a bit of a story behind that. And sometimes we like to make it up as we go and see which origin of it sticks best. But the the one that we can come up with the most uh, consistency with is if you've been to our distillery, you'll see that we don't have assembly lines of equipment. 
and we don't have any automated processes. Everything we do is by hand. Uh, it's a very small shop, and so our equipment is very close together. It's all in the same room. So doing that by hand uh, lends this sense of uh, hard work, um, dirty hands, sweaty hats, you know, the whole thing while we're in there working away. And so the hammer, it really is an icon of doing things by hand, uh, a hard work, hard work symbol. And spring, of course, is a, uh, a water source, uh, is one definition of a spring. But something else that goes a little bit deeper to that is uh, when we first started, and I'll tell you a little bit of a story about my potato vodka and moving, kind of circle back around Please to that do. if we want to. Yeah. So when I first got the idea of opening a distillery, we knew that we would have to make clear spirits first because we didn't have the luxury of sitting on a space, aging spirits, not selling anything. So uh, our vodka and our gin and our coffee liqueurs, uh, they don't require aging. So we thought that was a, a, a good way to start. Mm-hmm. Well, when I first started this journey, I thought all potato or all vodka came from potatoes. That was my misunderstanding. And I was shocked to realize that mostly in America, it comes from either corn or wheat. And almost nobody here in the United States makes vodka from potatoes. Not to say that there's not anybody, but it's very rare. It's very uncommon. But in Utah, it was completely uncommon. Nobody was making potato vodka. And we thought, well, there's our opportunity to have this niche market. We can be the first to market in Utah with a true potato vodka. So we did a bit of research and we found a farmer in northern Utah and it's Karen Family Farms. And we have a really great working relationship with those guys. So I have a flatbed Chevy truck. We drive up to the farm. We take empty totes that we swap out for full ones. We bring farm fresh whole Utah potatoes back to our distillery. We grind them up. We crush them. We break them down into fermentable sugar. We ferment them. We distill it. We bottle it. We put the labels on. We do the whole thing ourselves. So back to the hammer, the hard work, right? Yeah. So, but it also made us kind of pioneers in a sense of potato vodka in Utah. And Slug Magazine wrote an article on us a co- uh, last year, I guess. And they kind of picked up on that too. And they called us potato pioneers. And I thought that was kind of fun. And it tied into the idea of these people who a couple hundred years ago ventured out into the American West with hunting rifles and fishing poles and not really knowing what they were going to find or what they were doing, but they were off on this great adventure. And I don't mean to think that, you know, what we're doing is, you know, by any means comparable to the Lewis and Clark expedition or Father Escalante, right? But in that same spirit of adventure, we picked Hammerspring as the name is. That's also a component in a hunting rifle. It's when you pull the trigger, it's the force that drives the hammer forward and makes it strike the cartridge. Oh, Very cool. Like hammer spring. Yeah, I like that. That is cool. So our, our whole shtick, you can see it in our logo. Uh, like our logo, it looks like a brand, like a strike brand that you'd see on cattle. I love your logo. Yeah. You've got a Thank great you. logo. It's sweet. And, uh, you know, most of our stuff is in our in our retail space anyhow. is kind of rustic, old west looking. So where where is your location at? The address, just even for sure. our listeners. It, yeah, yeah. It's 3697 West, 1987 South. And where that is, uh, roughly speaking, is where the 201 freeway crosses Bangor Highway. We're just right close to that intersection. Okay. Oh, yeah. Probably pretty close. Yeah. And where pretty we're at us. over there now. Any reason behind picking that location or is just it worked oh, for you or? Boy. So uh, kind of in the warm up here, we were talking about the proximity rule. Yeah. So the state of Utah has this thing called the proximity rule where we have to be so many linear feet away from certain spaces. Mm-hmm. And one of the definitions within and within that is a public space, which includes parks, libraries, schools, churches, playgrounds, that type of thing. Um, and you have to be 600 linear feet away from those. And we found that it was really, really difficult to find a place in Salt Lake City or, or really in the Valley anywhere that qualified for that. In the industrial parks, there's tons of little tiny churches that are embedded. And uh, Really? Yeah. And it, it was really yeah. a surprise to me. And we kept, we, th- we thought we'd found the perfect place. You know, it would be nearby a shopping center. You know, we don't see any playgrounds or libraries or churches or anything nearby. And then, you know, we'd go meet with a real estate agent and we'd walk around the block and holy crap, there's a 
little tiny church right in this industrial park and now we're wow. out of luck with this you so. probably ran into issues because i've heard it's like some people where they'll find I, I don't know maybe distilleries it, it isn't this way but i've heard like different things uh like in the vape industry and stuff like that where then they'll go and try to you know rent the place or whatnot and then the landlord doesn't want to rent it because they're like well we don't want that here i didn't know if you ran into anything like that with a distillery. So we were really upfront with our landlords about what we were yeah. going to do. We wanted to make sure that we had everybody's blessing before mm-hmm. we put down a deposit. And we also, um, so one other little anecdotal bit of information here is when you start the process of licensing, it takes about a year to actually get the license. So you have to find your space where you're going to be, make your deposit, start paying rent and pay rent on that space for almost a year while you're waiting for your license. Because you have to have the space ready to go while you're applying. But the first thing you need to apply for your distilled spirits permit or your DSP, that's your federal license, is you need an address. That's the first piece of information that you need. But there's like this potential gotcha in there. So if you're in in an industrial park and you've six months in and somebody opens a church next door, the state doesn't come and do their proximity check until after you've gotten your federal permit because that's part of the state application. You have to have your federal permit done. The feds don't care if there's a church next door. That's a state level thing. So you get your federal DSP and you're all excited and you go to the state and then a church moves in next door to you and the state's like, nope, you don't qualify for the proximity rule anymore. So we were, uh, I think we had a little bit of wisdom. We approached our landlord and said, we need an escape clause that if this happens during this time, that you'll let us out of our lease so we won't be stuck here forcing forcing us to lease this space that we can't use. And so they That's were smart. They were amenable to that. So we were really They were pretty cool with that. They, huh? they were really cool with that. Yeah. That seems like a rarity because it would seem yeah. like kind of like uh, that's the whole purpose of them kind of tying in. So that, that's really rad of them right. uh, yeah. to do that. But I, I couldn't imagine trying to find the perfect place here, man. We It took a year. It was the hardest thing we've done so far is find our location. Wow. It, also because partly is we didn't have this big investor money too. So you yeah. know, um, it, there were lots of spaces that we found that were fantastic. We just couldn't afford them. And people can stop by this location to buy your liquor there, right? That's right. Everything we make is available for sale. We're open Tuesday through Saturday, noon to 6.30. Noon to 6.30. What are all the different liquors that you have? You mentioned you were mentioning them earlier. Potato, vodka, gin, and... A coffee liqueur. Coffee liqueur. We have a habanero infused vodka, which we have designed as a mixer. It's very spicy. Oh, um, so my, we recommend it takes good. like a teaspoon in a Bloody Mary, and we sell it in a little 375 bottle that will last you a long time. We have the whiskey pancake syrup that we... That, yeah, you brought a bottle of that. A, I'm looking oh, right I'm at so it. I'm so excited got a sample to try that. that. Yep, that has 4% bourbon in a naturally sweetened uh, corn syrup base. It's just all in Utah, your products right now. Or currently, is it out of Utah at no, all? Currently, we're just in Utah. Are you trying to get it out of Utah, I guess? There's a... Um, yes, to answer your question, we are trying. Uh, but yeah. it's... Uh, I mean, to, I guess that's kind of a stupid question. Of course, you <laughs> want it out of Utah, right? The well, prob- it depends. I mean, if you're doing all the work yourself, how big do you want to go? So the shipping out of state is difficult in small volumes. It's mm-hmm. it's really untenable. It's too expensive to ship a small amount to another state. Most states, just like Utah, work on a triple tier system, which means we can't sell directly to the consumer. We have to sell either to a broker or the state who in turn sells it to the consumer. Say, for example, California, we recently entered uh, in the San Diego International Spirits Competition. It cost us $60 to send two bottles to that competition. So if we were selling it uh, to be, so that was um, a media thing. So mm-hmm. it's not for sale. But if we were actually selling it to that competition, then what we would had to do is if we want, so our, our gin is $30 on the shelf here in Salt Lake, $30 and 88 cents. If we wanted it on the shelf in California for $30 and 88 cents, it has to get marked up three times before it gets there. The and And the shipping on top of that. So we're actually upside down on it. 
yeah. we, we'd actually have to pay to get a case, one case to, to put somebody on, to put on yeah, yeah. Otherwise it ends up being a $200 bottle of gin by the time it gets there. Wow. So that doesn't work. Yeah. So, but if you're selling, you know, if you're going through a trucking company and you're selling it, you know, you're sending three or four pallets, then it's cost effective, of course. But our trouble, of course, is finding somebody to buy three or four pallets when they've never even had it before. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Salt Lake Barber Company. Remember, every time you support one of our sponsors, you are directly supporting this podcast. Now, keep in mind, the Salt Lake Barber Company is where I go to get my haircuts, my beard trims. I've been going there for a couple of years now. Isaac does an amazing job. I could not be more happy every time I leave there. I feel like a million bucks. Hey, they are located at 10 East, 800 South, right on the corner of 8th and Main. In the Salt Lake Barber Company, they're a true community barbershop. They focus on providing the best work environment possible, allowing barbers to always provide the highest quality experience while in the chair. You know, I know a lot of guys, you guys are used to uh, just walking into a place, right, to get a haircut. The Salt Lake Barber Company, they do take walk-ins if they're available. You do get a guaranteed appointment, though. If you book it online, go to saltlakebarberco.com. This is what I do. I just go in there, and I see what available times Isaac has. I schedule an appointment. That way, I know when to go in, and I don't have to sit around and wait. Again, that website, saltlakebarberco.com. Head on over there. You know, they offer uh, shaves and cuts and good vibes, as well as, you know, the beard oils, the beard balms, all that good stuff. Right there at the Salt Lake Barber Company, located at 10 East, 800 South. Schedule your appointment today right online at the saltlakebarberco.com. And many thanks to the Salt Lake Barber Company for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Do you have any employees? Are you doing all the work or what, what's your day-to-day roles with the, with the company these days sure, or I with the m- distillery? Yeah. So I pretty much wear all of the hats except for the financial and the bookkeeping side. My wife is a CPA, so she does our, um, she pays the quarterly taxes and keeps us in financial compliance with the state, makes sure that we pay all the state fees and licensing and, you know, all that type of stuff. She does our day-to-day bookkeeping. Uh, That's so nice. Cause then you can actually focus on like the process. Well, creating product. It it is nice that I don't have to focus on that part, but it's just the two of us right now. So that means I have to do everything else. I do the marketing and the outreach and the manufacturing, the packaging, the labeling, the bottling, all the things. Yeah. Oh, wow. So you're doing it all. Mm -hmm. And we're small enough right now that I can keep up with it. It's a lot of work, but it's not, you know, I'm not underwater on it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the the time will come soon enough. Oh, I'm I'm very much looking forward to that. Oh, so you, I mean, somebody like myself, and I, I mean, I've said this on the podcast before, it's hard for me to delegate. It's hard. Like I want to do it all myself. Right. Like when I brought Chrissy into doing the podcast, it was, it was hard for me. Is that, is stuff like that hard for you to do or is it? Not really. Most of what I would, you know, if I would to have an employee come in, it's pretty easy to either say, you know, sit at my front desk and sell booze to customers or I need labels on all these bottles. Here's how you do it. There's 500 of them. Go for it. Um, so it's pretty easy to delegate tasks there if there was another person to delegate to. What's been. Like your all time like favorite part about running a distillery? Do you have like a like a thing you like the most? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the testing. <laughs> well, that's you know that's nice, uh, and you have like this really great satisfaction when you put the final piece on a bottle. So my bottles, so like the gin bottle for example, I have to touch that bottle seven times yeah. before you know to make all the steps. And so putting the final seal on that is nice. But I think for me the most exciting part is when I start a new ferment. And I put the yeast in it and I kind of, you know, walk away from it for a few hours and you come back and it's just bubbling and going. And I've got all these happy little yeast buddies in there doing their <laughs> thing. And it's like you 
like you created this living thing inside your fermenter and you know all the wonderful things it's going to do when it's done. So I don't know, to me, that's the most exciting part is the fermentation part. I don't know. Call me weird. No, no, that's (laughs) great, man. And that's why I love asking that question because everybody has such different answers. I mean, and on that same note, your least favorite part about running a distillery. Oh, the marketing for sure. I, it's my hardest thing that, that I don't like to do. What's, what's been hard about it? Just curious. I never felt like I was the cool kid in school. You know, you always get that. You always think that everybody's doing better than you, right? And I look around at these other distilleries and they're at the parties and they're in the bars and they've, they've got all their ads all over the place. And I just think, oh man, how am I ever going to, you know, is it, it's, 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 it's well, because it's money, man. Well, it's, that's, it, I, I guess. it's advertising that, dollars. Money, money and time. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. And so, I don't know. I just feel kind of awkward in larger social circumstances, sure. situations. Like I don't feel like I like to be up on the stage in the spotlight too much, but I feel like that's kind of what you have to be to get your name out there. And so I'm, I'm working on it. I'm doing podcasts. Well, it's, it <laughs> seems like you have to kind of start somewhere, uh-huh. you know, and then, you know, all, the big guys, I mean, I'm sure I don't want to give names. I mean, even national brands, right. I'm sure they, they started small. Right. Everybody too, started right? somewhere. And like my most ambitious goal is to hire a marketing person. I can't, I can't wait to, that's the first person I'm going to hire as a marketing person. I think it would be tough though with, with liquor because it would seem like you kind of have, you're limited to even how you could market it. I guess it would, it would seem like, uh, cause if yeah, I'm like not mistaken, it seems like you can't even do bit. like a billboard if you want it, or, or maybe you could, I don't know. So that was a, uh, a strange misunderstanding that the really? general public had of the Utah rules about advertising liquor. And for the longest time, uh, the manufacturers, we felt that we couldn't. And, uh, this kind of kicked off and I, I, I hope I get this right, but I think it was Moab Brewery. I don't remember exactly the process they went through. I wasn't there and I don't know sure. the names of the people who did it, but suddenly their brand started showing up on buses and trains and uh, we all kind of like, well, how's that happening? I think it's illegal to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they challenged the advertising notion or the, the understanding of it. And ultimately the state came out and said, it's illegal for the state to advertise alcohol, but there was never any law that prohibited the manufacturers from advertising. Really? Oh, and, interesting. And, and so that's kind of my, my layman's understanding of uh, probably a much bigger, more complicated situation. Yeah. But anyway, so now it kind of cracked the door open. Just like when distilleries started here in 2007, everybody thought it was illegal. Even the state had this general understanding that you couldn't have a distillery here. And of course, the large distillery in Summit County, they challenged that and they prevailed. And so it kind of opened the door for everybody else. Yeah. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Libsyn. Every time you support one of our sponsors, you are directly supporting this podcast. You know, we talk to a lot of small businesses on this podcast. We talk to a lot of people that they're looking to start a podcast and they hit me up and they're like, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know what to do. Well, if you or someone you know, if you're in the process of starting a podcast and you're looking for the best podcast audio host out there, go check out Libsyn.com. We've been using Libsyn to host I Am Salt Lake podcast for over seven years now, and I know that we truly could not be happier with their service. They make it super easy to set up, and they make it super easy to get your podcast routed to all the podcast players out there like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I Am Salt Lake podcast listeners, pay attention. We have a promo code for you to use Salt Lake. If you use the promo code Salt Lake, You'll get the rest of this month and all of next month free, free hosting at Libsyn.com. Again, that promo code is Salt Lake. You'll be supporting this podcast. You'll get yourself a free month of audio hosting at Libsyn.com. It's a win-win, you guys. Plus, you'll start your podcast finally. Many thanks to Libsyn for their support of the podcast. Let's get back into that conversation with JP from over at Hammer Spring Distillery. Thanks for listening. 
I wanted to actually, back when we were talking about the different things and you mentioned your pancake syrup, I wanted to touch a little bit more on this and we kind of slid further into the conversation. But I want to talk about this pancake syrup just because I, I, I don't even know if, how I missed this before. I, I wasn't aware that you did a pancake syrup. Mm-hmm. Uh, you brought a bottle in, which thank you. What's the story behind this, man? Because that's just such a bizarre. Well, maybe bizarre is just, fair. Just it's kind of different. random. It's different, like a pancake syrup. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's different. Delicious. I've never, I've never even heard of. A, is is that a thing? A whiskey pancake syrup? Like, well, we made it a thing. Well, no, I, I mean, I realize that, but have you tasted it before you made it, or what's? We did have an opportunity to try it somewhere else, but we had actually already been doing this. Um, so here's the whole story of it. Sure. Um, so one of the other things that I do in my life um, is I was a, a paramedic for some time. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, currently, well, I'm on a leave of absence right now, pending uh, an employee finding one, but I was on the Salt Lake County search and rescue team as well. Um, so I had to take a break from that. Until wow, I you're like designing houses, saving Where, people's lives. You know, like I said, you, you know, trying to learn to do a little bit of everything. How many hours do you have in your day? I only got 24. Uh, I know. I've got the great. same 24. So, but uh, it's it started stacking up, so I had to kind of leave that behind. But anyways, back to the pancake syrup. So I volunteered with a uh, large arts festival who likes to burn things in the desert that shall rename, remain unnamed. I think they don't. I know exactly which to... festival you're talking about. <laughs> so, so said festival has local festivals in a lot of states around the country. And the one here in Utah, I was involved with for the better part of a decade on the medical side. Okay. And so I would volunteer my time to uh, contribute my medical skills to the festival. And uh, part of our struggle there was finding volunteers to help us out with that. So uh, part of my motivation to get volunteers to come would be on the Saturday morning at the festival was to have a volunteer pan- pancake breakfast. And we thought, well, what a better way to attract the attention of our volunteers than to put whiskey in the pancake syrup. And uh, we did that for a long time. Like I said, the better part of a decade there. And people would frequently ask me, when, why can I only get this here? Why can't I get this at a store? When are you going to start making this? When are you going to start selling it? And, and as Hammerspring became more of a thing, it was a, an obvious shoe in to put this in our product lineup. So we developed the label and got the, the Department of Agriculture approval for the labels and the barcodes and the whole thing and figured out the packaging and all that. It's great. I mean, where, where can people get this? I guess at your store. You can buy it from us. Uh, Boostique sells it downtown on 3rd okay. and 3rd. We like uh, Ivy over there. Yeah, She's a good it's friend a of ours. Shop, yeah. um, it's at The Store in Cottonwood, uh, the 6200 South and Highland Drive store. And we've been chasing Harmons for all summer, trying to get it in their store. And we, we haven't gotten it in there yet, but we're confident that we will at some point. I'm eager to uh, to try it out. I mean, I, I wouldn't even know what a whiskey pancake syrup would taste You know taste what I feel like? like? This is so random, but looking at this bottle, because it's so such a great old school design that it makes me think of the old bottles, like the old medicinal bottles where they're like the cure all, this is the cure for that. And I feel like this, <laughs> this, you old... could advertise it as like the cure for hangover. <laughs> it's you know? the old uh, bottle top here. I'll take a picture it's of this so actually great. and throw it at I am salt lake.com sure. uh, with this episode. So people can, can look at the bottle. It's, it's, we really do like that old apothecary bottle look, but that's yeah, not uh, not surprisingly, there's a lot of laws that ban us from saying that this will cure anything or that it has any magical oh, properties man. or it'll I guess make that's you probably fly true. or it'll make you, you know, cures whatever. They're ruining marketing for everybody. <laughs> what a boring time to be alive, right? Like, I mean, there was a time people could just say what they wanted and there was no repercussions. You well, know? I guess like, that was great for the manufacturers, but not so much for the unsuspecting <laughs> for public. The people, yeah, that's, that's fair. That's so, fair. so JP, we have a, um, we have a Facebook group. Where we throw quite, we throw, uh, we'll say, Hey, we'll be chatting with this person, blah, blah, blah. I mentioned that I was going to be chatting with you. I love your Facebook page. I thought it looked great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Brady, one of our listeners, he asked a question here and I I already know we kind of chatted about some of this, but I'm going to throw the question out and we'll see what we can answer here with him. He says, 
Do you find it harder or easier to secure shelf space in a state-run liquor store versus a private retailer location if you're available out of state? And what's the biggest hurdle you needed to overcome to earn that space in Utah stores? So I know we mentioned you're only in Utah, so that's all you're familiar with. Right. So we really don't have an opportunity to even see what an out-of-state distribution would look like at this point. Is it tough to earn to get that shelf space in the you know state liquor stores? Is that a is that a tough thing for a local? That is the number one challenge that we face as local, not just as Hammerspring, but as all local producers of alcohol. Is how do you get that space? How do you get that shelf space in the Utah liquor stores? And there's a process that they implement that um you know they try to explain it to us, but sometimes it doesn't seem to match up with what's happening in the stores, and it's very frustrating. Apparently, uh, Hammerspring came on the scene right as they were switching over to this program. And so we had a very different understanding of our set of expectations coming into this as to what we actually got. So, um, yeah, well, and just to kind of give for, for listeners, uh, it's basically they just they select which liquor stores, I guess, they put your stuff in. It's an algorithm in their yeah. software, the way we understand it. And if your stuff is doing well, then they'll order more of it. And if it's not doing well, they take it out of the store completely. On that note, I think as listeners, it's important for us to go out of our way and try to buy the local. I mean, obviously, in this mm-hmm. case, buy Hammerspring. But <laughs> well, it kills me. I mean, it seems like the state would want you guys to succeed more. Like they would want to give more space to the local distilleries versus the uh, more national ones, you know? I think that's the logical emotional reaction that we would have. But apparently yeah. there's some federal laws that prohibit them from giving special preference to a local brand over a national oh, no brand. And, and I don't really know a lot about that, so I can't speak a lot to it. I, that's yeah. fair, yeah. But they they have to, well, according to them, they have to give everybody the same opportunity. But it's really not tenable. Yeah. Um, like the, I, I'm a, you know, I, I make just a little bit of alcohol and other larger national brands, you know, they're selling it by the tanker truck loads. And of course, <laughs> right. you know, so it, of course they're going to, you know, it's, you know, going. when they can, you know, when they can fill an order of 10,000 cases, of course, you know, that's going to get better distribution yeah. than somebody who can make 50 cases. And it would be great to see that. And it has in some places. So for example, the Syracuse liquor store, they have kind of like a little locals only section. It's like a little, uh, kiosk in in the store where you can see the local stuff but um it hasn't really manifested itself in a a way to generate sales of the local product well hopefully they change that so it uh they're just available everywhere i I would that would be (laughs) you're like i'm not gonna fight that one right because i did go try to find it and i couldn't so i'm gonna have to track down a store that actually has yeah do you probably i mean it's probably you probably can't name any ones that you know people can find it probably the downtown one i would assume Well, the frustrating part is the three products that we do have they're not in the same store so i could say you could get our potato vodka at this store but then you have to go over here for our gin and then if you wanted our hidden vodka you'd have to go to this other store and i don't have that list off the top of my head but i would encourage people to use the product locator which is on the dabc web website oh. and just type Hammerspring into the locator field and it will pop up where all of our stuff is. Perfect. I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't either. And I'm going to check it out now. Yeah. I, I actually have a question about the hidden vodka. Mm-hmm. So this is like, is the, this is a special vodka that you make that is you built like a social impact project around it? That's right. We like to be really clear uh, with our customers right up front about hidden vodka. The hidden vodka is a sourced vodka. A lot of the vodka that you've ever had in your life is sourced. And what I mean by sourced is it was manufactured in bulk at another big uh, giant facility, probably from Indiana or um, another place. Ours comes from Connecticut. It's uh, Water gets added to it and proofed down to the 80 proof. And we put our label on it. And it's very popular. Lots of lots of people do this. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. It's great vodka. Mm-hmm. It's uh, 
I like to just refer to it kind of as your mid shelf sports bar well vodka. Um, yeah. It disappears great into a cocktail. It's nice and it's night nice. It's neutral. So having it being the sourced product, we don't have to put quite as much effort into it as our craft products. So we wanted to do something with the money that we got from that label by giving it some of it back into the community, creating a social impact statement that way. And we didn't want to really alienate any particular groups by saying, well, we're going to donate it to this, but that's going to make half of everybody you know, yeah. upset. Mm-hmm. And, or we'll give it to the other half, but then we'll make the other half of people, well, I don't support that, so I don't want to drink this. So the, It's so hard to even do something nice. Right, it really <laughs> is. So the idea that we came up with is that we would seek out nonprofit organizations that fought against human trafficking and supported survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. So that's become the social impact statement behind the hidden label. And that's actually why we chose the name hidden is it represents the the human beings that are hidden in slavery, um, not just in North America, but throughout the world. Yeah. And I Very thought, cool. you know, we might not be able to do a lot with this because we're such a small group, but we're doing something. Dude, even if one, everybody, you know, imagine if all of us were just doing a little bit. Yeah. That's, oh, yeah. So last year we gave 6% of that label to an organization that helped out in that regard. That's so great. Wow. I'm going to have to start buying Hidden Yeah. Vodka. Thank you so much for doing that. I mean, oh, it's our pleasure for sure. <laughs> have you ever thought, like, I'm a bit of an entrepreneur. Well, I'm a... I'm an entrepreneur myself. So <laughs> sure, I'm always, I always, great studio. I, I, I got, serial I got, uh, I got a lot of business ideas and I got a lot of ideas. Do you run into that yourself? Like, like if you were to open up something new, have you ever think about that kind of things of new business, it's venue, a, restaurant? It's a constant linear stream of, yeah. of mm-hmm. golden eggs that I don't have enough geese to lay. So. Do you ever see yourself doing other things or, or do you kind of want to just stay with the liquor? business now. You know, I kind of alluded to it earlier about the different things I've done in my life and it's really kind of burning me out and I'm ready to just be like one guy and focus yeah. on this thing. And I just, Was it really hard to narrow it down and be, and finally decide the thing that you wanted to, uh-huh. to yeah. do? Oh yeah. I wanted to stay on the search and rescue team for my whole life and I just realized that that was, I That'd don't have hard. time to do all of the things. And so yeah. un- unfortunately, you know, and those guys are great. They always promote, you know, your life comes first and your yeah. family and your business and all those things. So thanks for your time. You know, I've been on for a few years mm-hmm. and uh, they were sad to see me take the leave of absence. And I was too, but maybe I'll get back to it someday when I have some time. But I really just want to focus on this and make this the kind of like the thing that uh, defines me. Yeah. No, I yeah. love it because that's kind of something I've discovered even more over the last few years is. I grew up thinking, oh, jack of all trades, right? You're going to get further in life. But the more you specialize in something, the more successful it seems to sure. seems to be, yeah. you know? What about uh, business advice? Do you have like a, like one or two pieces of business advice in just general business advice that if somebody was listening, maybe they're starting a business, do you have any advice you would give them? Yeah, be honest. Don't be a jackass. Okay. I like it. I, I know. <laughs> I, I like that. I think there's a lot of I, dishonest I have, I have run into so many business deals gone bad or people that have tried to sell me something or trying to convince me that their thing is something that it's not. And it's the thing that I'm most disgusted with, with other people's businesses, the mm-hmm. lack of transparency and the lack of honesty with their, um, with what they do. And not just in this industry. I don't want to feel like I'm, you know, like trying to point fingers at just this industry or anybody in it, but right. generally in, general. in yeah. like uh, throughout all of my experience, you know, mm-hmm. in entrepreneurship, like sure. you say, in my other businesses, you know, getting stiffed on invoices from my architecture program to, you know, just having people just not show up when you were counting on them. What's your go-to drink when you go to a bar? When I go to some place that serves my product, I'd like to get a mule with a hidden vodka. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. I like that. I like yeah, that. That would be good. I'm curious if there's a bar that carries your product that, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, the, a couple of the bout time pubs. Oh, right on. Uh, okay. And Elixir Lounge does. And um, it, it, the list is, is short, unfortunately. The Oasis Cafe um, downtown. 
so people like bar owners and stuff could contact you even to get their Absolutely. liquor. I don't know how all yes. that works. What kind of, if they have to go through the DABC or do they go to you directly? Um, so that, you know, we, so we were just apo- approached by bottoms up just recently okay. and we were just there last night and they had a, a really great drag show there. It was, it was a lot of fun. So they'll come to us and they say, you know, we'd like to carry your stuff. Do you want to put up banners? Do you want to sure, put sure, yeah. coasters? And how do you want to get involved in our scene? How do you want, you know, like the That's merchandising great. stuff? Yeah. And so, yeah, we'd love to work with bars and clubs that way. It's, it's been kind of tough though. That's like a lot of people say, oh yeah, we'll carry your stuff. And then they don't. And we're kind of frustrated mm. with that. Well, and it seems like a tough because there's so much that sure. you're up against oh, yeah. at yeah. that location. There's a few questions I want to ask about you, JP, just because I always like to even allow our listeners to get to know the people that we're we're chatting with and, and, and the products of that. But when you're not distilling liquor, I mean, what are some of your other hobbies and interests? Like what else do you like to do with your time? Well, the pre-hospital emergency medicine has always been a, a really interesting thing. Yeah. And, and anecdotally, I might add that before uh, the plan was to take my paramedic license and advance that into a higher medical degree to earn some money to open the distillery. And it turned out we had some good fortune in another area and I was able to bypass a whole bunch of school and just go right to this. Um, that saves money. It was. Yeah, it was kind of nice. Uh, you know, I like to ride my motorcycle. I have two daughters that I enjoy spending time with. Um, I like to spend time in the outdoors. Uh, my wife and I, sometimes we're just homebodies and we like yeah. to just kind of kick around and, you know, work in the garden or watch Netflix or whatever. A little Netflix and chill, right? <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Just because it's, it's always interesting. You know, we see people out and about, right? But we don't, we might frequent their business or buy their booze, but we don't know much about him. What about like the most memorable concert or sporting event? Do you have like an all-time concert that you went to at one, one time? I don't really like big crowds of people, so I kind of shy away from concerts. I don't really care for concerts. Um, let's see. Most memorable sporting moment. In high school, I played hockey. Did you? And uh, up until actually in all elementary school before that, when I was a kid, I God, it must have been junior high. Anyways, at that level of hockey, in the season playoffs, if you have a tie game at the end of the playoffs, you do this thing called a shootout. Where like it's one guy with the puck and he goes against the goalie and if he scores, then the other team has a chance to do it to see if they can tie. And they keep doing this back and forth until one of them doesn't make it and the other one does. And that's who wins the thing. Ah, anyway, so <laughs> so I was that guy uh, in the shootout thing and it was my turn. And so the the other team went first and they missed. And then I went and I made the I scored the goal. And so it won the season for my team. And that was oh nice. <laughs> so I was awesome. I was like twelve. Did you ever get hurt playing hockey? I mean, that's it's kind of brutal. Uh, yeah, that's the idea behind <laughs> it, though. Know, like, you know, you get bashed around. It's a, a very hands-on, hands-on, <laughs> very hands-on. Very. I, I think the like the off-season gorilla hockey, you know, was probably where you get hurt more than actually on the ice. That that's probably true. <laughs> There's a few Salt Lake City related questions that we like to ask everybody that comes through here. Yeah. We have family and friends. They visit us. They've maybe never been here. I'm sure you've had situations like this and you're like, I want to show off the state, the city, the area, the surrounding areas. Where do you take them? Where do you show them? Gosh, you know, there's this great little boutique distillery on the West side called Hammerspring. <laughs> no, I'm really, I mean, besides Hammerspring, I mean, sure. of course, got to go check. No, I think one of the coolest things to do here is the Natural History Museum. Okay. I, mean, I think that's an amazing building. Uh, and Red Butte Gardens is uh, a really great place to take people. Um, I like to show people the Great Salt Lake just sure. because it's so vast and weird and disgusting and it smells so bad. <laughs> that how can it possibly even be a thing? It's But people, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's, a big it's thing, unique, right? So, man. Yeah, it's unique. And people are like, I've always wanted to see that. And then they get out there and they're like, oh, like this is awful. Okay, I saw it. Let's go do something else. But, you know, it's a, it's kind of a unique, cool thing to do here. 
What about favorite local eating spots? Do you have like one or two favorite local restaurants that you like to frequent? So the Bout Time Pub is in, yeah. almost in our backyard. It's within staggering distance. So we actually eat there a lot. And I think they have a really great um, lunch menu. So we eat lunch there pretty frequently. Uh, so far as dinner going out. Oh, man. That's oh, like, it's this, fine. This is a hard it's, question. No, for me. it's fine. <laughs> I mean, we could, you know, about time. I mean, that's that's fine. You sure. Know? I mean, but, you know, so far as nice, I'm, I'm pretty easy to impress when it goes that way. So I don't really have a favorite. I, I think it's the variety of food that is more interesting to me than let's go try, you know, let's go try someplace new. Let's... uh Let's see. Um, now I've had a minute to think about it. I think Layla's uh, Lebanese cuisine in uh, what are they in Milk Holiday? I guess they are. I'm not familiar with this place, man. Yeah, well, tell me about it. Uh, well, Lebanese cuisine. Um, they, in my opinion, have the best lamb shank in town. It's it's incredible. Okay, you had me at lamb shank there. I yeah. like that. <laughs> and uh, Liz, she's the she's the owner, um, and uh, she's really just an honest, hardworking person. And she's there. You know, she works. It's not like she's in a you know, a suite in California while her slaves are working here, you know, she's, yeah. like, you know, making the food and running the thing. And she's really friendly. And I always enjoy running into her when I see her. What would you change about Salt Lake City? Would you change anything, one or two things if you could? Well, that's a kind of a sticky question, right? Because a lot of people say, well, yeah, I'd change this thing. But then the logical following question is, well, how would you do it? Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. that's always the, and then you realize that, oh, I really can't change that. That's really just kind of the way it is. And I think the, uh, the influence of the, of the church here in Salt Lake would be the logical, like, thing to do. But I don't know that that would solve the problems that we have necessarily, because I think a lot of the problems we have exist in other places. Yeah, I think it could change a lot, though. I, I agree. I, yeah. I think they could. But I think, um, eliminating that influence from some of the public policies, certainly the alcohol policy would be great to make that true separation. A lot has changed, even with alcohol, though, too. So, I mean, knock on wood that it keeps going in that direction. And there's a lot to be said for that. In in that regard, I think compared to some other places, Salt Lake City, particularly in Utah as a whole, is really progressive in taking a look at, well, what are our laws and how can we – you know, adjust them to make the people here happy. And not that we always get the best outcome, I think, but at least they're having this conversation. Yeah. You know, maybe the conversation doesn't always get, go the way we want it to, but you know. But at least it's there. Do you, are, do you remember yeah. private clubs? Remember? Oh yeah, yeah. That, you had to pay a, like yeah, a little membership man. fee just to get in. Like it was, not that that was a complete nuisance or it was the worst thing in the world, but sure. it was weird. Right. And they, and they did away with that. Yeah, it was well, exactly. So weird. So, so I that's mean, an we've, example we've come of a long ways. And sure. I mean, I think, I mean, even with all the distilleries coming to town and the breweries coming mm-hmm. to town, the fact that we have a, an, like well, a, a scene, right? A yeah. distillery scene, brewery right. scene, whatever. Right. A lot of people don't expect that in Utah, which is awesome. Sure. Yeah. We get that all the time. Oh my gosh. How do you have a distillery here? How do you even do that? The one thing I do want to mention before I forget, do you guys offer tours at all? Can we people do. come yeah. there? Cause I didn't ask that in the beginning. And then you mentioned, you know, where, where should people visit? Sure. Well, go take a tour of yeah. Hammersburg. Yeah. And you know, we're happy to take you through on a, a five minute turn and burn, yeah. or, you know, you can stay there and spend an hour and we'll talk about the finer science of, um, dextrin chains and glycolic bonds and all of the <laughs> other parts that go into it. So whatever your nerd level is, yeah. Like what, you know, so you were going to ask something there, Chrissy. I sorry, I kind of jumped. But the, I was, oh, oh man, sorry. that's okay. I'll remember eventually. I was going to. I mean, before we wrap this episode up, was there anything? Was there anything that you were hoping we would talk about that we didn't bring up, or something that you wanted to? Something new that's happening with Hammer Spring at all? Why we still got the recorder going here? I guess the only thing in that regard is just our upcoming product releases. We do have, you asked me what products we had. Yeah. Um, and there was a couple that I didn't quite get to. We kind of got, uh, Oh, sorry, de- sorry. No, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. We kind of got derailed on the pancake syrup because it's so interesting and so delicious. But, uh, we also have a barrel aged rum that was kind of an experiment for us. 
And uh, we hadn't planned on making rum in the beginning. There was lots of other places that were already doing it. We didn't want to be "Hmm, just another rum. But Mm -hmm. uh, with our license, we have the flexibility to make whichever type of spirit that we like. We can make whiskey or we can make gin or we can make rum or we can make whatever. And so we thought, well, let's just try some just because we can. And uh, initially it came out the silver rum that comes right off the still. We didn't think it was very good. And Mm -hmm. I, I gave it to some friends. And one of the comments was, it's too rummy. And I, I don't know what that really meant, but so well, uh, um, kind of a win. Yeah. And well, anyway, so we talked to some more people and somebody suggested, well, why don't you put it in a barrel and age it and see what happens to it? And mm-hmm. we were uh, really fortunate to uh, be able to get a small barrel. And uh, so we threw the rum in there. We put it in there on the 4th of July, lat, not this last one, but the one prior. And we took it out on the 4th this year. And it was spectacular. We like fell over backwards into this amazing Oh, barrel that's so rum. cool. My only regret is we didn't make more. We only made it only made seventy two bottles. This little barrel. Are you going to make more of it? We'll start a new batch to okay. have released next year. Yeah, and we have a barrel aged gin that is about ten months in, nine or ten months in. It's almost done, and we should be releasing that around Thanksgiving time. So Ooh. that's we got to go get some of this. Stuff, I was just, stop yeah. by stop by their store. I want to get the barrel aged gym. Jim, gin. <laughs> Get the barrel aids, Jim. <laughs> well, I don't want any gyms ever, just gin. But um, yeah, I would love to get that for like the holiday season. Yeah. Make some yeah, cool it's, drinks. It's, it's really great. So one of the botanicals in the gin is allspice. And it doesn't come through very strong in the, the gin that we have on the shelves now. But something about being in the barrel has really brought that out. And it gives it kind of a holiday, Christmassy kind of context to it. The, the, the vanilla of the barrels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to add that these are used rye barrels. So I was going to ask, what, a, yeah. So, so the, they've been previously. They had rye they, in for five years and then yeah, they were. So they add that flavor We bought to those it. used. And so the so rum great. particularly picked up a really uh, interesting whiskey characteristic. So it has the sweet butterscotch kind of funkiness of rum, but it also has this really uh, crazy whiskey note of the barrel and the vanilla okay. and the tannins oh. from the oak. So it, it's really cool stuff. That sounds huh. amazing. Try some of that. So oh, the, yeah. uh, and I want to talk about the gin for just yeah. one second yeah. because the gin is. So, and this is going to sound really like tongue in cheek, but a lot of times when people taste our gin, they say, this is the best gin I've ever had, or this is the most unique gin I've ever had. And yeah. we really get a lot, we, we kind of joke about having a little clicker every time that we hear that to keep track of it. <laughs> so my wife and I both having grown up here, we love to spend as much time as we can in the outdoors, hiking and camping and just kind of general shenanigans in the outdoors. And we love the smell of the Utah high mountain desert, the juniper and the sage, Mm -hmm. especially after it rains, the smell of the grass and the earth in that whole thing. And we wanted to capture that experience in our gin. So we chose a more botanical spicy profile. And so it doesn't have a flowery, no London dry to it. It's a very large, bold botanical forward taste and it, it's just awesome we it love it it tastes like so much. mountaintop it, it tastes like uh, the utah it, mountains it tastes like the utah high mountain desert is, love is it. what we like to say the long-term goal of hammerspring has always been whiskey okay and i think i mentioned just briefly in the beginning how starting out to kind of you know pay the rent and keep ourselves alive was to do the clear spirits the non-age spirits and yeah. we've just begun making whiskey so we have a barrel full of rye whiskey and i have in my fermenters right now is our first barrel full or will be our first barrel full of wheat whiskey okay and then we'll do some corn and then we'll do a little in-house blending to find out what our mash bill is going to be we'll have a panel of experts come in and help us determine what the right combination is how do, how do you become nice. one of these panel of experts? <laughs> <laughs> it's a top secret <laughs> i was gonna say sign me up <laughs> yeah i'm in so there's a handful of uh, social media groups out there that, you know, say, you know, it's we're the, you know, the, the whiskey people or we're the rum people or we're the vodka people. And we've, you know, are parts of these groups. So they're friends of ours that we invite to come help us, you know, do our. our That's awesome. How long about until you think the whiskey is going to be released? 
kind of a two-year benchmark. Okay. But we've had some really decent whiskey that's only been aged for a year. So we figure a year at the least, but maybe two. Mm -hmm. um, we'll probably keep some reserve around to do like five and 10-year releases, respectively. Yeah. Very cool. Nice. Do you have any other questions for him, Chrissy, or do you want to throw your final question out? Chrissy has a final oh, my, question. My she final throws question. out at everybody that comes through here. Sure. Uh, before she throws this out, thank you so much, JP, for, oh, gosh, for coming yeah, to the pleasure. show. Actually, how can listeners get a hold of you, website, all that information before she gives the... Sure. Uh, the best, probably the, the way you'll find us best is either on Facebook or Instagram. Okay. And, and we're Hammer Spring Distillers. Uh, I just want to point out a lot of people put an S after spring. Oh. So they say springs, but it's not an S. Oh. It's just Hammer Spring Interesting. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, so, so when and, you, if you're typing that in, just uh, don't put that extra S. And I'll put those links at IamSaltLake.com as well. Sure. Uh, so if people are driving or running or something, you right. didn't remember them, just you can head on over yep. to this episode show notes. Sure. Too, you can well. Google us. Um, and then we have a business listing on Google that has links to our, you, you can you know do the address to find where we are. Oh, yeah. Um, send an email. The phone number on there is my personal phone number. Call it. You'll get me. Oh, well, that's good to know. <laughs> I call you at four in the morning, right? I won't answer, but if four in the morning, but <laughs> if, if I'm awake, I will. And if you stop by the distillery, mention you listen to this podcast. You know, it's always fun to, yeah. to hear people who listen sure. to the Maybe show. Maybe you'll but. get a sweet high five from it. Um, yeah. So if you could leave our listeners with one piece of life advice or a motto that you live by, what would it be? Don't drink and drive. That's a really good one. That's yeah, so that's, fitting for this episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we love to have you enjoy our product and we love it if you enjoy other people's product. I'd really yeah. say, you know, drink what you enjoy. How mm -hmm. do I know which whiskey is the best one? The one that you like the best. But in all of your adventures and all of your shenanigans out there, just, you know, keep it off the road. Many thanks again to JP for joining us on this episode of the podcast. All the links mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at IamSaltLake.com slash 397. That's for episode 397. Support for I Am Salt Lake comes from KRCL 90.9. Amplifying community voices since 1979. This listener-supported music discovery station covers everything from reggae and punk rock to local grassroots activism. Listen today at 90.9 FM or right online at krcl.org. All right, it is the first episode of the month. Every first episode of the month, we take a moment to give some love and thanks to our Patreon supporters. These are listeners of the podcast that kick on over a dollar, five dollars every month, kind of like an ongoing Kickstarter where they're saying, hey, we want to make sure that this podcast continues forward. So thank you for what you do. If you want to become a Patreon supporter, it's really easy to do. Just go to patreon.com slash I am Salt Lake and you can become a supporter for as little of a, as little as a dollar. And every month, we'll, we'll give you a shout-out right here on the podcast. There is also a link with this episode's show notes as well uh, for Patreon if you want to uh, become a supporter, which we could always use more supporters because we have a lot of ideas on what we want to do with this podcast. Right, Chrissy? Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, many thanks to supporters like John Miller, Mark Copeland, Todd Bjorkland, Tim Haran, Nicole Davison, Alex Santi, Riley Padilla, Brandon Hill from over there at Mountain Standard Time Marketing, Brittany Hemingway, Jeff Hadfield, Michael Beck, Eric Tomorrow, Jeff Hat, Sana, Alan Martindale, Brett Schmidt, Three Irons SLC, Nikki Line from over there in New Zealand. And I think we congratulated them on their baby. They had we a baby did. there. Uh, well, I think baby. it might have been a month or two Couple back months now. Ago. 
Uh, Michelle Stevens Williams, dirt in your skirt, Margaret over there. Uh, Christopher A. Heiser in Jay Chambers. Hey, let's gather around for a group hug, you guys. Oh, big group hug. That's thank, the best. Thank you so much for being a Patreon supporter. Uh, your support, it does go a long ways. We have a lot of things that we're, we're looking to do with the podcast. I know we want to get some new microphones and eventually build out this bomb studio. But we're going to talk more about that later on. Uh, if you want to become a supporter, go to patreon.com slash I am Salt Lake and become a supporter and uh, reap the rewards. And we seriously appreciate each and every one of you, like for real. And that's going to do it for this episode. Don't forget to support our show sponsors, KRCL, Market Source Real Estate, and the Salt Lake Barber Company and Lipson. We'll have links for all of them at our website under the notes for this episode, which you can always find at IamSaltLake.com. You can also send us letters, postcards, and packages right to our P.O. Box. You guys remember this. Remember the day you used to write letters? Send us a letter. I don't know. We like letters, right? I like snail mail. P.O. Box 4412, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84110. You have a great week. Make sure to get out and enjoy Salt Lake City. Support local whenever possible, and we'll see you on the next episode. And good night, Grammy. Grammy.